When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. It's time to Take Command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Take Command podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. That is Logan Paulson. And with us today for the first part of the pod, it's our good friend Nikki Jabvala from the Washington Post. Nikki, always a pleasure to have you. Welcome back to the show. Thanks for having me. So you have uh, you have some uh, some experience with a couple of the folks who have interviewed for the commander's offensive coordinator job. I know you uh, are a big fan of Eric Studesville. Uh, you've talked about it in a co- like yeah. Times Pod, and and we were just talking a little bit before we started recording. What do you like about Eric Studesville? Slash, what can you tell us about Eric Studesville? Yeah, I think first of all, he's a really good guy. He's a he's a good human being. Um, well respected within the league. I think players really like him. Um, you know, I was up. Oh, my dogs say hi. Um, hey, dogs. <laughs> sorry, about dog friendly podcast. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, he was he was really well respected. Um, I I crossed over with him in Denver. Um, he was a running backs coach and. Prior to when I arrived, he was their interim head coach um, when Josh McDaniels got fired. Um, probably should have been a Denver lifer. I don't know why they ever let him go, quite frankly, but he's gone on to do good things and is in a good spot with Miami. So um, I I really like him. I, I think he's a good guy. I think he's a good coach. He's been in multiple systems, um, so he could really come in and, and shake things up if that's what they want. It's something that I've always found interesting about like media members is how do you determine whether he's a good coach or not? Because it's not like you're in the meeting with him. Is it like conversations with players? And then like, if so, like, what are those pieces of evidence that inform that, that perspective? I, I think a couple of things. I think one is just seeing how he develops young players. And he, I thought he did that really well in Denver. They had a number of young backs, a lot of guys that they drafted. And you could really see that, that growth and development. I, I mean, they took CJ Anderson, um, undrafted, I think, and and he went on to really help them in a Super Bowl. I think he got a Pro Bowl um, selection, so mm-hmm. he was that was instrumental to to that offense, especially in their Super Bowl year. Um, and I think the the respect he has from players and from other coaches just within the locker room, um, you know, he really took care of his guys. There were some things mm-hmm. that happened behind the scenes, and I that I knew about that he he really helped players when they needed it. Um, so I, I, I think he's he's really out for their best interest. And I, I don't know that you can say that for every coach in the league. Um, but I know the players there felt it, and, and they mm-hmm. really felt strongly about Sudisville. 
So there's kind of two, I would say, concerns about him as an OC. Uh, one would be he's been in all the systems, but does he have one that's his own? And then the obvious second one is his lack of experience as a play caller. How do you think he one? What would he actually be looking to run if he got his own his own offense? And two, what kind of faith do you have in him to figure out the play calling element? Uh, because that obviously the sequencing and some of that stuff was a huge uh, issue here last year with Scott Turner. Right, right. Well, I mean, he did do it for a short stretch in Denver when he was an interim head coach. But yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, yeah, he's 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 been in a number of systems. He's primarily been in a West Coast or versions of the West Coast. I mean, I think Mike McDaniel's is more like Kyle Shanahan's, but he's he's been with uh, Mike Shanahan. He's been with Gary Kubiak. So, you know, that's kind of his bread and butter. I would think he would want to run something more aligned with that. I do think Scott Turner did some. West Coast principles, but it was still mostly, you know, the the Norv Turner system was the Air Coriel system. So um, I would I would think if he came in, he would want to do something more aligned with that. And that kind of goes back to this whole thing with Washington is, you know, they have a staff built primarily from Ron's time in, in Carolina. They've run the same system. They're trying to replicate a lot of the things they did in Carolina from, you know, five, six years ago. Is he willing to change up? Um, and, and try something different, and and I think that's where that's where Eric Studisville could be good because they could push him to get a little bit more creative and try something different. But I would imagine that he would run want to run something more aligned with you know his experience. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, another thing that I think is kind of interesting is like obviously he's a good coach. Obviously the players like him, according to you, and I think there there is a tremendous value there. But do you, does he strike you as a guy who would make a good coordinator? Because I've played with a lot of position coaches who were fantastic coaches that that was like that was where they were at their best. And right. do you think he has that kind of transcendent ability? Yeah, I honestly I don't I don't know just because he, he hasn't made that jump yet. And I think it is a difficult one. Um, and I think that's kind of the question you have for any, you know, first year play callers. And that's essentially what he would be mm -hmm. um, is can they take what they had, the respect they had, and can they make that leap? Because play calling is a whole different animal, you know? Sure. Um, and, it, and, and it's tough. Yeah, uh, and I guess like, you know, like with a guy like Sean, for example, everyone, you know, like Kaim, you know, anybody in the in the room kind of knew, does he have that quality? And is there is there maybe a reason that he's 55 and hasn't had this opportunity before? Yeah, I mean, I, all fair questions. Um, I think he's been looking for the right gig. Mm. He's had interviews in the past. I think he interviewed with the Jets. Um, mm. He was elevated to assistant head coach for a while. Um, so, yeah, I think he's kind of been looking for the right opportunity, and they don't always come open. But, yeah, yeah I think these are all fair questions. I honestly I, – I don't know because it's one of those – until you see him in that position, you don't really know how he's going to fare. Um, but yeah, it's, it's totally fair to speculate, you know, why hasn't he gotten that opportunity at this point? But I, th I think that's, and that's kind of the broader question with the league too, is you see guys get this opportunity two years in as a positional coach and then others who have been working for 20 years and like, what's, what's the discrepancy? So, <laughs> right. That's a whole different podcast. Right. Yeah. Yeah. There's <laughs> definitely a, a lot to unpack that we could unpack, but we don't have time. Yeah. Instead, I'll just ask you about a guy who's gotten that opportunity multiple times. That is Pat Shermer. Cause yep. you also crossed with him briefly in Denver, uh, his time in Denver. Uh, there's a lot of folks out there who maybe not as psyched about as say some of the folks in New York or some of the other stops that he's had, certainly Minnesota, uh, where he had great success with Case Keenum in that one magical year. Um, 
what are your impressions of Shermer and his ability as an offensive coordinator and a potential fit in Washington? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I was totally not surprised that, you know, they, they were quick to interview him. Uh, Ron was interested in him in, what is 2013 as well when he was with the Panthers. So um, it makes sense to me. It would be sort of a similar hire to what they've had. Um, mm. so not much would change. Um, you know, I think, yeah, Pat Shermer has definitely had his moments where he's, he's had a lot of success, you know, and I, I think that experience definitely is important. He's worked with young quarterbacks. He's worked with um, veterans. So he's, he, is one of those who could step in and you could trust that he knows what he's doing. Um, the track record leaves a little to be desired, but that doesn't always fall on the, the play caller or even the head coach. Um, you know, there, it, it wasn't all roses in Denver. I mean, I was there for his first six months. So I, I came out before like training camp even started. It was more like the hiring phase and watching him build the roster and everything. Um, but it, it quickly kind of disintegrated from what it sounded like there. And, you know, he was – there are there are a number of interesting moments and clips. I think they had a game of 158 net rushing yards of 18 rushing yards on 17 carries. So um, there's an infamous clip of, you know, him saying they practice incompletions to stop the clock, which is all, like, silly stuff, but it, it just kind of spoke to the broader – picture of you know how they didn't feel like they had a, a, a ton of success there and obviously like you you know you spoke very high, highly of Studsville and kind of his you know relationship with the players like and I know you were there very briefly with Shermer but did the players how did the players respond to him in, in your experience yeah I mean I wasn't I wasn't there to see all enough of that. Yeah. um you know I I just it was more hearsay from other mm. reporters in Denver um but, you know, any time a team is not winning or succeeding, there's always going to be attention. There's always going to be something, right? And it's and it's a case whether it's with a good coach or a bad coach. So it's not really a an accurate reflection of his ability as a play caller. He has had some success. Mm-hmm. Um, they didn't have it there. I, I thought he had some, in, certainly in New York, definitely with Case Keenum in Minnesota. So he's certainly more than capable, I think, in terms of, you think in terms of what this team wants to do, I think that's going to be the ultimate deciding factor with where they go with OC. So that was going to be my next question is like, if you just focus on your reporting here and, and mm-hmm. think about what, you know, Ron wants, there's all this talk about the, the two to one run to pass thing. And I think that quote got so blown out of proportion yeah. because like it was nobody's going to accept the Steelers, the century, like, well, what? right. And also Martin was d- responding directly to what happened in the Dallas game, which right. was they got out ahead and then that's like, yeah, would they love to be ahead by 20 points in every game and then just run the clock out and finish two to one? Sure, but like they clearly want to be a run-heavy team. That is something that they have been very clear about. Ron loves his two-back system, all of that. So how much say will the OC have in some of this stuff? And and also, if you look back, like what were the clashes between Turner and Rivera, and why couldn't they get on the same page when it seemed like both of them had very clear visions that were not the same vision? Yeah, I mean, a good question. I, I... I don't know that they totally weren't on the same page. I think a lot of it, again, comes down to when you're not winning, there's going to be tension. And, and it could have come from higher up, too. Um, but I think there was clearly frustration within the locker room that much we knew um, about the play calling and, you know, simple things like, you know, why they they move the ball up to midfield, which is not always easy to do, and then you just randomly take a shot and, 
you know, sometimes it worked, a lot of times it didn't. They're like, we just wasted this. And like a lot of questions about, you know, some of the decisions that were made. So I think that's kind of where it, that they ran counter to, to what they wanted to do. But, you know, I, 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 I think they're extenuating circumstances in the Sean, in um, Scott Turner's case. And I, I say this not to in any way defend anything or, or take any sides, but, you know, cycling through what eight different quarterbacks, I, it is quite a bit. You never really get to establish your offensive identity. And I, yeah, I do think Scott wanted to air it out a lot and they had these two backs and, you know, you, you got to run it more. So that's, you know, that that's once you bring in Brian Robinson to the mix and you can see what he can do, especially with Antonio Gibson, I, I think that kind of changes things that that gives them that identity. They went on that run streak two years in a row. They went on a run, run streak um, with more of a run first offense. And it's very clear they want to stick with that. So, um, yeah, I, again, I, th- I think that could dictate where they go going forward. And we'll see. I, I, the two to one thing is just, yeah, it's it's not. Nobody. Does. I'm really tired of hearing about it. It's one quote that yeah, got just does. blown nobody out does. completely no out of proportion. One, nobody does that. I think it was like the 2004 Steelers were the only team that came close to doing it. And that's it. Yeah. I mean, last year, I think the highest run percentage was like 58%, which is not, not close to two to one. But um, so between the two candidates, uh, you know, Shermer and Sudsville, do you think one is a more natural fit? And I think, you know, just like calling attention to the fact that it's probably – only a year guaranteed kind of thing? Like, do you think one of these guys fits that uh, criteria a little bit better? Yeah, and that's the other thing. You look at Suzville, he's in a good situation in Miami. He's, you know, he's not looking for work. Does he want to take on that insecurity or the uncertainty with a possible sale? That's up to him. Um, Shermer is probably looking to get back in, obviously. Um, So he doesn't have the same leverage that might give the team, you know, a little bit, you know, a better option there if that's the choice to go with. I also think some of their, their, the other guys they've looked at too. I think Charles London is intriguing too. Mm. I think they might, from what I've heard, they might look at a couple other candidates too um, before week's end and, and kind of see what their options are and, and decide maybe next week or closer to the Super Bowl. What do you make of the fact that the hiring cycle in general has been so slow around the league? Like you're someone who is not just yeah. obviously well-sourced and reported on the league here in or the commanders here in Washington, but like you're very well-sourced around the league and talk to a bunch of folks. Like, is it just that Sean Payton is looming over it all? And like Justin Herbert's out there in LA needing an OC. So everyone's kind of yeah. wanting to prioritize that. Or is there more to it than that? Yeah, it's, it's an interesting year. I mean, some years you feel like everybody's like racing to get their guy and others they have time and they kind of drag it out. And this is one of those. I mean, you're seeing guys get second interviews. I think Giro Evero has had two second interviews with teams already. Um, the Sean Payton deal is unique because not every team can afford him. And it, it sounds like the Saints might be playing hardball. Just from looking from afar, I don't know that. But you think about it, it's not just paying him gobs of money. It's how many picks are you going to have to give up to get them from the Saints who have his rights. So, I mean, that I don't think the Chargers are in the mix for that. I, I think they made that very clear when they kept Staley and, um, you know, made some other changes on the offensive staff. But I don't know if he's holding up the other teams or if it's more they have time to really do their due diligence with these other candidates and, you know, they're taking it for once it is interesting though okay of the candidates for washington do you think do you have like a guy that you think is like 
locked in as the guy that you would uh, you would pick. I mean, maybe not you would pick, or you you would speculate Ron would pick. Maybe well, let's do both. Who would you pick, and then who would who do you think that Ron is ultimately going to pick? Um, I mean, I could totally see him going with Shermer, honestly. But um, <laughs> that's kind of I mean, we feel the same way because if they yeah. know each other, yeah. it's a year. Like it seems like the right way to go, right? Yeah, I could totally see that happening. Um, who would I pick? I mean, I I. Again, I think Charles London is intriguing. I think Studisville could be intriguing. They're more unknown, so there's risk there. Um, I, I just think they, if they're going to do this, Shermer feels like a lateral move to me in a sense. Like, you know, what are you really changing? You know, what's a, it was, was is Shermer really better than Scott and, and I mean, you, I mean, you might know this though, but like, isn't it, it seems like from what he said, he wants to kind of, I don't want to say make a lateral move, but he wants to kind of stay in the same ballpark. You know, he wants to be, yeah. you know, kind of in the same space because he doesn't want to change the terminology. I yeah. mean, so there is some motivation there to do that, I think. Sure. Because it's been working so well. <laughs> well, that's the thing is you got to get a better version. Yeah. And, you know, Shermer has had well, some of the success as an OC. And like, yeah. I, I do think the one thing that he has over Scott was Scott was a first time play caller and it showed up in a lot of key situations. And, you know, if Shermer can just be better situationally, then they did move the ball at times last year yeah. when they got dedicated. Like, if, if you could be better situationally and better um, in terms of not dedication, focus, I guess, is the word that I'm looking yeah. for. Like, discipline, I guess, is really what I'm looking for. Like, if you can be more disciplined and better situationally, what they had was okay. It's certainly not Kyle Shanahan. Um, but I also think because of the ownership situation, frankly, I don't know that Ron's going to attract the best offensive candidates. Like there's a lot of things here that point to, they're not going to get that guy anyway. Yeah. So can you just improve on the margins enough to elevate your team into the playoffs from the first team out of it? Yeah, no. And I think that's very fair. I mean, I, I agree with you wholeheartedly, like ownership and quarterback are going to be their biggest hindrances in this search. They're, they're yeah. not going to be able to get their top guy. And you look at, you look at the guys that they're interviewing and they're all intriguing candidates, but they're not like the top of the market guys that a lot of the other teams are kind of looking at that are, you know, cycling through. So, you know, which is both a credit to the team, but maybe also due to their circumstances that they're, they're interested in giving guys opportunities. Um, but maybe they also know that, you know, this, this could be viewed as a sort of a lame duck position. Mm. New owner comes in and blows it up, you know? And they don't, they don't have that quarterback, you know, they don't, they're not one of those teams where it's like, we need somebody to come in and, and really develop this young guy. Who is our guy? We, the only guy we know who's going to be on the roster is Sam Howell. That's it. Right. And that's what, where we're going to go next after we're done chatting with you. So I'll, I'll, I'll let you get us started here. For you. Yeah. Uh, so set, set the table for us fully. Yeah. Let's, let's get the full <laughs> spread out, out here going. Like, what do you think is the direction? I'll, I'll, arrows seem to be pointing towards Howell, but like what are the chances that that arrow has actually got a curve in it somewhere and it, and it points a different direction? I wouldn't put anything past the team. Again, I think the ownership situation is the real problem in this because it, it without it, I would say, yeah, they could be real players and trying to get, you know, a veteran. Maybe they really seriously look at Derek Carr. Maybe they, maybe they make a play for Aaron Rodgers. So I don't really see that. Um, but you know, who, why, why don't you see is, that? Who, who's going to, who's signing off on that? What, o, what owner is signing off on that? You know? Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
That, and that's that's going to be always the biggest thing is you want to make big moves. Like, all right, who's signing off on that? Does Do the Snyder sign, sign off on that? Do you wait for the prospective owner, whoever it's going to be, if it happens? I mean, that that's always kind of been the problem going into the season. There's been so many questions about it already, just asking Ron, you know, how long is the leash here to, to really do what you need to improve the roster? And it's still kind of uncertain, but um, – that's where I could see, all right, you bring in somebody who can, let's see what Sam Howell has, bring in, you know, a Taylor Heineke type who can back him up and maybe look in the draft again. And that, I guess, buys you another year. I feel like they're kind of in that same spot year after year. I mean, that was kind of the, the give and take with Heineke is, you know, he really got him in good position, put him in, you know, seventh in the NFC, I mean, in the, in the NFC and put him in, prime position to make a playoff run, but it also sets them back in the draft and trying to find a long-term answer there at quarterback. So, Yeah. Nikki Javala, Washington Post, reader, WashingtonPost.com slash sports, or when they throw the paper at your door in the morning, depending on, uh, you know, where you live and if you get the delivery service. Also on Twitter, at Nikki Javala. Nikki, always a pleasure. Thanks so much, and uh, we'll do it again soon. And, uh, you know, hello to the dogs as well. Yeah, sorry about that. They say hello. Okay. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> Take care, guys. Thanks, Nikki. Hey, everyone, this is Brett Boone. Would you know it? I've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year. Tune in as I sit down with my friends, some of the biggest names in sports, media, entertainment, for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations. As you know, baseball's been my life. It's been in the family for a long time, but it's a lot more than that here. It's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track. Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did. Take Command Podcast from Odyssey Sports. I'm Craig Hoffman. That's Logan Paulson. Uh, make sure if you want more from us, you can watch Logan on Take Command on the Commander's YouTube page. You can also catch me on the radio 3 to 6 each and every day on the Team 980. All right, Logan, the quarterback conversation. Picking up where we left off with Nikki. Uh, Dominique Foxworth was on ESPN the other day uh, and said, you know, hey, I think the second best fit outside the Packers for the commanders or for Aaron Rodgers is the commanders. And the Derek Carr rumors are starting to heat up. And I, uh, I honestly kind of hate it all. Um, and while I understand the appeal of a veteran on some level, and certainly folks that are as proven as are nevertheless as proven as Rodgers. I think that if you're trying to build something sustainable, constantly chasing a veteran is a lot more likely to have you looking like the Indianapolis Colts and a lot less likely to have you looking like the San Francisco 49ers or one of these other teams that's had success with younger quarterbacks or even, frankly, the New York Jets, who missed on Zach Wilson tremendously in the draft. He seems to be a total bust for them at that second overall pick where they're they're figuring out if they can even move forward with him uh, for year three. And 
yet they still finished just outside the playoffs this year and look to be building towards something good. And I guess that's kind of where I, one of the things that I'm, I'm considering from a data point, and I'm curious to get your thoughts on it, is if you miss on a rookie, you miss on a young guy, that means your money's gone somewhere else. And if you miss on a veteran quarterback, you are in really deep, you know what. And to me, that's why I know there's so much emphasis on this year for Ron Rivera, but I still don't think the right move for this team at this time, the way the rest of the roster is built, is to go after a veteran and spend that money. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think I've always been a big advocate for like finding a rookie quarterback. I've actually been talking to somebody. Um, gosh, I can't forget. I forget his name. He he works for Iron Neck. You know, the the the, the strength and conditioning company. Mm-hmm. Really, really awesome dude. And he sent me this thing. And his philosophy about quarterbacks was like, I would just keep drafting rookie quarterbacks, even if you hit on a quarterback. Now, I don't know if I would go that far, but I think right. that that is a very telling solution. And what I mean by that is rookies give you financial flexibility and when your roster is not complete it's that is what i'm looking for is financial flexibility is getting a rookie quarterback or a cheap veteran so that i can do stuff to make the roster better i can go out and sign a free agent tackle if i want i can re-sign to ron Payne. i can do that kind of stuff to make sure that the team's better and when you look around especially in recent history like quarterbacks on super bowl winning teams take up a relatively small percentage of the quarterback. It's not these elite names. It's not your Kirk Cousins, who's taking up a huge chunk of cap for Minnesota, Aaron Rodgers, uh, Kyler Murray, Lamar Jackson, that type of guy, even Josh Allen to a certain extent, because it inhibits what you can do long-term. So I think I think right after the um, Matt Stafford trade to LA, everyone was like, that is the formula. The draft picks aren't as valuable. We can find a quarterback in free agency. We'll pay him and then all of a sudden or trade for him and then we'll be ready to go and we'll be ready to make. The, and that's like you see that with Cleveland. You see that with Indianapolis. And that became like kind of the the force du jour for a while in terms of this is the solution. I think just because a couple teams hit recently, there's like this recency bias. I still think finding a young player and or a, or a cheaper veteran to helmet is the right decision. And I understand Derek Carr, like Derek Carr from last year was an outstanding football player, but he has shown a, a decrease in his performance every time he comes to a new offense. So I think that's an important variable to be aware of because he's going to have a decrease in performance. You're going to be paying that man $35 million, maybe $40 million a year for a down year next year. Aaron Rodgers, I don't think Aaron Rodgers is the same guy that he's been in Green Bay. And if you look at what Green Bay did, which I think is – really innovative is they have a very, very talented roster around him that is a run-first approach. And so he needs accommodations at this point in his career. He's not going to come out and be, you know, a Patrick Mahomes or a Josh Allen or a Joe Burrow, someone who's elevating the roster in the way that he was maybe four years ago. So that's where I think those types of retreads become very, very dangerous because they limit you, you financially. You basically put the roster in cryostasis and say, we can't move forward from here. And that's the thing that's very, very scary is because this is not a complete roster. The commanders is not a, a fully fleshed out roster. We've talked about the O-line. We've talked about the secondary, um, you know, probably another safety. You, those acquisitions become very, very challenging. And it puts a lot of pressure on your scouting department to hit in the draft because those are cheaper, relatively speaking, players. So I agree with you. I think that the veteran thing is is tough unless you are 100% sure when you're 100% sure, you're paying a premium for that. Right. So here are the, the veteran quarterbacks who it's worked for. Tom Brady, 
who was coming off of a remarkable season and actually a Super Bowl win. But also uh, when took he less went money to than Tampa. A, a top deal. You know what I mean? He structured his deal yeah. so that they could well, actually, keep... You sorry, know what he I mean? did, yeah, he had, he'd won the Super Bowl two years before and still looked pretty good his final right. year in New England and then went to Tampa on a cheaper deal. And all those years he won in New England, he was on a cheaper deal. Relatively like, speaking. In, even in terms of just the evaluation piece. Like Brady, we're pretty sure he was still going to be good in Tampa. Yeah. Matt Stafford was a very unique case coming out of Detroit. We were still playing at an exceptionally high level, and he was just kind of sick of Detroit. Like, yeah. loved the city, loved the people, but was like, I got to get out of here. I got I to gotta do something else. And that's out he went. They granted his wish, and, and he was still a good player. But the whole thing is, like, good quarterbacks that are playing well don't become available because otherwise the teams want to keep them. Aaron Rodgers got an insane contract last offseason because two years ago he was the MVP. But guess right. what? When you do that, give that to a guy who's 38 years old, you never know where that cliff is going to be. And it's not like he fell off the cliff this year. Like, he was still pretty good, but he certainly started slow. And you see what that he's not some kingmaker because until Christian Watkins got back, their offense stunk. Like right. Devontae Adams may have been propping Aaron Rodgers up a little bit more than we realized it, you know, and that maybe we thought Rodgers was propping Adams up. Like, no, Devontae Adams is the real deal. We saw that this year in Vegas, how dominant he was through their offensive struggles. His statistics were insane. Uh, I believe he led the league in receiving touchdowns. And so you see, like, there's a real risk in Aaron Rodgers. So why would you give a ton of money to Aaron Rodgers and have it potentially blow up in your face? And then, by the way, he's not a long-term solution because you're he's he's older. Like, he's not... I right. mean, he's flirting with retirement again this offseason, um, which is hilariously ironic considering how his career started with the Favre retirement flirtations. But um, poor Jordan Love going through the same thing. Yeah. Anyway... With uh, with Carr, you never know, uh, up and down over the last, like, four years. He's alternated between M borderline MVP caliber play and, like, unplayable level of play. Mm -hmm. But the other thing about this, Logan, is something you said last week, two weeks ago on the pod that I thought was really, really insightful. The evaluations at offensive line, for instance, are so much easier, and the hit rate is so much <clears throat> higher than quarterback. So if I'm going to spend money, like cash, I'd rather spend it on a sure thing. Right. I'd rather spend on an offensive lineman or another position that I feel good that the guy that I'm paying is going to work for me, and I take my lottery tickets on things that are lottery tickets. I will take my lottery ticket of a first-round pick and spend it on a quarterback because if it doesn't work, and I wind up having to play the then mid-level veteran I can sign because I'm not paying my QB one top-tier money, a.k.a. what the Jets did with Joe Flacco this year, then they, that guy can keep you afloat. If you have Taylor Heineke and Sam Howell stinks all of a sudden next year, Heineke could keep you afloat in the playoff picture or Jacoby Brissett or whoever that level of player is because a $10 million, $11 million backup is a lot better than the backup you're going to get when you're spending $40 million on a quarterback. And yeah. so I think that when you talk about the risk level of evaluations, it also makes sense to take flyers on quarterbacks and then spend money on sure things, and that raises the floor of your team dramatically. 
Yeah, and I also think with a quarterback, I think quarterbacks are more situational dependent than people want to acknowledge. Everyone says, oh, you get Mm. Tom Brady in his prime in here and it elevates this team. And I think Tom Brady's the best football player of all time. But him coming here to the offense that they ran last year, you're not going to get the same Tom Brady. They really knew how to elevate Tom Brady in New England. And you saw that in Tampa Bay, too. You saw the friction when he first arrived there and they won the Super Bowl. You saw the friction between him and Byron Leftwich in terms of offensive philosophy. Brady wanted to do a little bit more play action. He wanted more answers. He didn't want this kind of vertical attacking downfield stuff quite as comprehensively, right? And it took probably six, seven weeks for them to find their legs. And I think that that's important to acknowledge. I think fans see Matt Stafford's success in LA and they say, oh, we should have got him here. We would have had the same success. Like, no, the scheme, the roster is in different spots. And that's where that evaluation is so important is to understand where you are at. And I agree, like the money is important. But if there was a guy available right now that would elevate this roster, I would say he's worth $40 million. The problem is, I don't think either one of these guys are elevating the roster, Rodgers or Carr, because Carr had a, a pretty solid offensive skill set in um, in Oakland, in uh, Las Vegas, excuse me, and those guys didn't elevate him. They didn't. He he didn't elevate that offense the way you thought it would. Right, the offensive line wasn't very good. So you bring him here, and you are going to be relying kind of in a similar situation. You've got good skill position players. He's got to learn a new offense and the offensive line's not very good. And quite frankly, it's the same thing in green Bay. The offensive line was struggling and Rogers struggled. And again, the skill position talents better here. And maybe he can, he can magnify that. But I always think it's important for people to understand like the situation has to be right for the quarterback to come here. He's going to get paid a lot of money. You got to make sure that's the right decision. So I agree with you. I, I think you want to kind of be smart here and you want to just keep taking shots. Quarterback is one of those things where you want to keep taking shots because the more volume you get in, the more eyes you get on new young talent, the better you're going to do. So what's the best way to do that? It's find a Jacoby Brissett. Find a, that's, where I, that's where I think this staff did a really good job with the Ryan Fitzpatrick thing. It didn't work out because of injury, but that ultimately is what you want to do. You want to find a guy like that, draft a young guy, and say, develop. Well, that was the thing they screwed up with the Fitzpatrick season was they didn't draft the young guy. Right. They 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 just took Fitzpatrick and then we're like, uh, okay, it's him and then Heineke's the backup. We're like, and Kyle Allen. And it's like, where's the, where's the, where's the 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 project? Right. Right. Um, But for, in terms of like their ability to win that season with the defense they thought they had, I didn't mind the Fitzpatrick signing at the time. And so that's what this year should be like, I think. And you have Sam Howell. So then you have this dynamic that, again, it allows you to allocate draft capital. It allows you to allocate financial resources to the rest of the roster. And I, I'm going to sound like a broken record, but you look at Seattle with Russell Wilson. You look at Baltimore with Joe Flacco. You look at the Steelers with Ben Roethlisberger. I mean, the, the list is endless. Because the rookie's on a deal, you could elevate and improve your roster And then all of a sudden you're in a position where you can make a run in the playoffs with a quarterback that's not very good. And so, I mean, I look at Atlanta for, I think Atlanta is a really good example of this. We've talked about them as a case study multiple times in this show, but they have four first round picks on the offensive line. They have more cap than anybody else in the NFL because they have a rookie quarterback and now they can literally go out and do whatever they want. They can spend as much money, they can do whatever they need and 
they can find interchangeable pieces for running back, the skill position players will be elevated, and they can insulate the quarterback. They just need to improve the defense. And that essentially is what you got to think about here with Washington. I, we said on a show, and I got, got some heat from this, and so I just want to acknowledge that, that I said there are two offensive linemen in a corner away from making a playoff push. That's true. But how do you get yourself in the best position to make that happen? And I don't think paying a quarterback $40 million is a good step to getting that done. Right. The funny thing about Atlanta is I, I was reading Jeremy Fowler's like offseason predictions, uh, you know, kind of kind of bold offseason predictions piece yeah. on ESPN.com. And he said, you know, that's a sleeper place for Lamar if, if Baltimore yeah. ultimately can't come to an agreement. But it's because they built it a certain way. Like right. what they built in Atlanta is a clear vision. And that's one thing that we've criticized here is like, They've got these amazing receivers, and then we're like, we're going to be a run-first team. And it's like, well, you didn't build your offensive line that way. You spent some draft capital on Brian Robinson, which like is fine, and you can yeah. have good – there's no rule that says you can have good running backs in a good running game and also a dynamic downfield passing game. That's actually the ideal. But it was kind of interesting how – interesting is a nice way to put it. Uh, misguided uh, seems to not connect the way they built the roster and the way they had a philosophy. Atlanta's so on top of that. They're like, this is who we are. This is who we want to be. We're going to draft everybody within that that vision. And the way they built it, all of a sudden with $56 million in cap space, if they want to sign Lamar for 40 and make a trade uh, t- with him, like he's the perfect fit for them at quarterback. And they've right. got receivers that could actually be very helpful to him. And they've got plug and play at running back. And they've got the O-line. So um, if your roster's built up, then yeah, maybe you you are at that point where you are a quarterback away. Um, but obviously this team, as you said, is, you know, when you say they're, they're two linemen in a corner away. Well, they're two linemen, in a, you know, which you've said, I'm just, I'm yeah. just clarifying before anyone jumps, although I'm sure they've already typed their comment hit enter. <laughs> like you're two linemen, a corner and a quarterback, quarterback away. away. Um, unless Sam turns into something that, you know, faster than I think we anticipate, which is right. possible, but right. you know, that's also going to depend on the OC and, and how they insulate him and all that kind of stuff. But I'm saying, yeah, I guess what I'm saying with the, the two, the two O linemen and the cornerback kind of thing I was talking about, the thing about that is that if you can, again, adopt this run first approach, run, r- the run game is directly correlated to how good your O line is and how talented those guys are. So that's why Atlanta is an interesting case study because they have a lot of first rounders on the O line, San Francisco, they have one, two, they have a second. They have two first round picks, a second round pick, and then a free agent at right guard. So that's a lot of draft capital invested in that group. Uh, uh, Baltimore is the same way. A lot of draft capital invested in that group. So if you want that group to be good, there seems to be a precedent to say, "Hey, let's get this O line to be good." Then our running efficiency becomes better, and then Sam Howell doesn't have to do all this heavy lifting. He's going to be under less pressure. He can run the football. And I know there's this case. There's the conversation about Joe Burrow. Versus when they when they were going to draft Panay Sewell or um, the receiver, this is the LSU kid, really uh, Jamar player. Chase. Jamar Chase. Yeah, that was the conversation. They said, "Oh, well, look how it turned out for Jamar Chase." That's a different situation, probably more of an outlier. And I understand why they did it, but I do think that if you can insulate the young quarterback, rely on a good defense, upgrade with the corner, re-sign Duran or whatever you're going to do there, get another safety rotational piece upgrade the offensive line that's five players that's five picks if you hit on all of them holy cow watch out maybe hit some stuff in free agency again because you've saved some money that roster is now scaffolded in a way that it supports sam howell if that ends up being the guy or jacoby Brissett, or you know andy dalton whoever it is 
And all of a sudden you become way more dangerous just because the roster is elevated. So I think that's kind of what I'm talking about. And I understand the quarterback's the key cog there, but yeah. you can make it less impactful and less important by managing some of these other decisions. And I think that's what I would like them to see. Is Again, this is a point of frustration I have, and I'm diverging a little bit here. They seem to draft offensive linemen that are guards. You need tackles, too. You need guys who yeah. are tackles. You need to flesh that out. And so I would like to see them really kind of say, this is the guy we like. He fits our philosophy and hit a home run on that with 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 an offensive lineman. Sorry. Yeah. No, all good. Um, and Burrow is such an exception because he's so Correct. freaking special. He's a baller. Like, he's so special. He elevates every – he is the kind of quarterback that elevates the O-line. And getting him chase, a guy that he has ultimate familiarity with and also could be a potential Hall of Fame receiver, like, yeah, uh, that's that's not – and by the way, they, the Bengals would probably still be really good if they had Panay Sewell, but um, who also has shown himself to right. be a dynamic pass catcher. Uh, that's we, right. saw, we saw in Detroit. But, um, you know, if you're – yeah, draft a Hall of Famer. Uh, sure, that's – if you're going to if you're gonna go against philosophy, you do it for a guy like Chase, um, who I think they really knew was was that special and obviously had the connection with Burrow. Um, but if you look at the the recent list of, of Super Bowl winners, just to underscore your point – um, it's everything you're saying. And then Peyton Manning, he's like the only exception. Um, mm. we talked about, we talked about the Stafford exception, um, but they had built up that roster, uh, in very unique way in LA. Uh, they obviously win last year, Tampa paying Brady under market value. Um, and had built up that roster previous to that, uh, Kansas city Mahomes was still on his first deal. And he's also on a really interesting deal where right. Kansas city is going to be able to continue to build. And he's still got $500 million somehow that those things are both true. Uh, like New England deal, right? Yeah. 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 Um, New England, uh, with Brady, Philadelphia, uh, Carson was their QB one to kind of start that year from some financial structures. Obviously Foles winds up being the, the QB one in the Super and Bowl, what's crazy but about he's on, he's Foles... on a rookie deal. Foles was making a higher percentage of the salary cap that year. I think it was like right. two and a half or something as opposed to the one that, which is crazy. But th think about that. That's but that's kind of what we're talking yeah, about. Right, right. Right. It's it's if you can get the rookie and the cheap backup or the 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 mid-priced or like, you know, yeah, two out of five uh, on the cost scale backup, like that's a good formula. Right, 100%. And I, I think, again, like when you look at recent teams that have won Super Bowls, because it's not as much as people want to say it's the quarterback. And the quarterback, yes, it's a critical piece, but it's not the only piece. And there are very few players outside of a Peyton Manning type guy who can elevate the whole roster to compensate for the money that you're dumping into them. And I think teams are starting to become more aware of that. And again, that's one of the reasons a first round quarterback is so valuable because you get this huge piece for you that's going to be fractional fa fractions on the dollar to what you're gonna to have to pay a high price free agent so i think that is what i'd like to see here and again i think when again I'm, I'm stepping back looking at it i think that's one of the reasons sam howell is so appetizing to this team because they liked him they thought he was worthy of like a third second third round pick i'm, I'm speculating there but you know like there's a lot of draft people who had him in that range anyway right so they felt like here's the guy we like him a lot he looked good in the last game and that's why they're going to give him a pretty good shot at this because if that's true they can do all of this other roster work we were just discussing 
Yeah, definitely. Um, basically, it's Manning is the only exception. Denver. Um, other than that, it's guys like uh, Flacco still in his rookie deal. Um, you know, obviously they faced Kaepernick, who's on a rookie deal in that yeah. Super Bowl. Right. Russell Wilson on his rookie deal. Like a bunch of guys who ultimately got paid, and not saying it was the wrong thing to pay them either if they're that good. But you know, the, it's hard the rookies, to get back. It's hard yeah. to get back, right? Yeah, I think you, it's... you wind up having to make really tough decisions. Right. Right. Absolutely. Take a man podcast from Odyssey Sports, Craig Hoffman, Logan Paulson. All right, let's get back to the coaching thing for our last little mini segment here, Logan. Uh, we had someone send us a question on Instagram about Charles London and basically uh-huh. like, how can he be a serious candidate? We, Matt Ryan wasn't that great under him. And, you know, Desmond Ritter, like it wasn't like he set the world on fire. And how could you take a guy who was a quarterback's coach uh, very briefly and a running back coach and make him your OC. How can that be serious? And and you have other people, whether it's uh, Eric Studesville or uh, Thomas Brown or, or right. really anybody that hasn't done it before and been successful, how could they possibly? And so I want to take, uh, I guess, a positive, optimistic view of this question and, and lose, use it as a learning opportunity for me and, and everybody else. How do you make that projection? Um, yeah. because like projecting is something we're going to talk about a lot, uh, over the next couple of weeks with the draft, uh, as well, or next couple of months with the draft on player's side, but for a coach, like what are the things that you would say are indicative of a, a position coach being able to make the jump to coordinator? Yeah, this is a really tough question because I've obviously never been a head coach. I've never had to make a hire, but I just kind of have to defer to what I would do if I were to make a hire and the yeah. things. Well, I would and also lean for. on your experience as yeah, a player, like you 100%. played for you know guys who made that leap and you saw them make that leap right. while you were playing for them. And I do think all the guys that I know that have made the transition have done so in a way that I th- I think is how you would prefer to do it. So basically, what I mean by that <clears throat> is. <clears throat> they've shown that they're very bright football people. They're very bright football people. And so that's one element, but they're also very charismatic leaders and teachers, and they can make the material engaging. They're very comfortable in front of the team and they're very comfortable with the clicker in their hand. And they breed just by their presence, a sense of confidence. And you can see that from day one, like Sean was a, a GA when he took over the tight end coaching job when I was here, but like, not GA, it's like quality control is what they call yeah. it. GA yeah. is a college term. Um, but he'd get up and do, I think it was short yardage presentations or third down, something like that. And it wasn't like too big for him. It was like, I am. I was sent by God to tell you this short yardage information. And that, and then you're like, oh, okay. Like, I, I believe this plan. I believe the presentation. And there's a huge element to that. It's like, think about when you're in school. And you've got that teacher who's quiet and kind of meek. The class is not engaging, right? You need a good presenter. You need someone who knows what they're talking about. So Sean was that way. Wes was that way. Kyle was that way. Kyle had to learn how to do that, to be fair. Matt LaFleur had to learn how to do that, to be fair. But what they were able to do is kind of go into a mentorship relationship when they were calling plays. So the most kind of famous example is Sean with Jay. Jay called the plays. Sean built the game plan. That, to me, is the way to bring along a young, innovative offensive mind because you get the structure of the of the mentor and you get the innovative youth and the learning process and the grind of the young player until they cultivate their own identity under the tutelage of their mentor or whatever. So if I had to bring a young guy along, that's how I would do it. But if I'm interviewing a young guy, 
one, one I want to hear that I, I want to hear from people that I know that they're doing a good job, that they're innovative, they work hard, they study, they grind the tape. All those things are really important. And then in the interview, I want to talk ball with them. And I want them to show me not where the game is now, but where the game is going to be in a year or two. Where I want them to give me a prediction of where that's going to go. And I want them to give me a, a plan to how they are going to accommodate this trajectory that they see. And does it have to go that way? No, but I want them to be thinking in that way. And I think that's where those young coaches now are becoming more and more popular in that way. Instead of getting someone who's got a traditional view of the game, their game and the way they're viewing it is cultivating and growing. So that is kind of my interview process and what I would do. And, and for a guy like London, this is interesting because they've he's been a part of an offense. Um, who's the OC there? Who's the head coach there? Um, uh, Frank Smith. Frank or, or Smith. No, Arthur Smith. Arthur, Arthur Smith. Smith. Yes. Thank you. Arthur Smith, who is um, who has had a lot of success with a very specific philosophy and has shown an ability to elevate quarterbacks. All things that are good. And people say, oh, Mariota didn't play very well. Mar- this is like the best year Mariota's had like in four or five years as a starter, right? So that is all all good signs. It's an offense that's innovative in a very specific way. It's tracking with what teams are doing to complement and supplement average quarterback play. It elevates quarterback play. You were a key cog in learning that. So in that interview, I'm going to ask you, so what's the next progression of this? And if he's a smart guy, he'll have some type of answer. And I'm also going to call all my buddies down in Atlanta and say, what is up with this guy? And that's how it's going to go. And I think you are using kind of in the same way you do with the draft, right? Does he have an actual propensity or talent for what he's doing? And then what is the projection based off of these intangible qualities to get him to be the OC? And I think that's kind of how I would walk that because you are counting on a certain level of development. Yeah, definitely. And it's that's the thing that's tough, tough for Ron and why a guy like Shermer becomes instantly appealing is right. Pat Shermer is not really developing. Like Pat Shermer is who he is, and right. you might look at that as a negative in some situations, but you know he doesn't have to learn how to call plays, and he's seen a bunch of situations, and there's a bunch of value in that. I know Nikki wasn't super fond of of him as a candidate, but like I think we both said, like he's probably at the top of our list. I mean, part of that is also just like we're looking at it through a realistic lens of what Ron is right. looking at it. If we right. were hiring for, if, if, if you were named head coach and I was on your staff and we we're doing the interview process and uh, you know, we're, we're trying to make a hire, like we're probably more interested in someone like a Thomas Brown, right. younger guy that like, Hey, we're going to be here for a while. We feel confident in it. Um, the owners signed off and, and this guy's going to come in and we hope, we hope to have him for three years because chances are if his stock continues to rise like it is, then he's going to get a head coaching job soon. Right. Um, that's not the situation Rivera's in and there's kind of an urgency of now, um, which is also an interesting fit with the young quarterback. So how do you balance that, you know, that, that insulating of a young quarterback, but also wanting to bring him along and balance development and, and immediacy um it's tough but at the end of the day like it also is all gearing towards winning as many football games and the immediacy goes away if you win that's the other part of this is like the immediacy of needing to to win right now if you're doing the right things you will win games and and thus whoever the new owner is is probably going to want to keep you yeah i totally agree and i think you you kind of opened up a little bit of a Pandora's box, which we've talked about. Yeah. It's just this situation is so unique 
it's so unique in its parameters, right? It's not, I'm not looking for the best candidate in the history of the NFL. I'm looking for the best candidate who can meet these parameters. We've got a young quarterback who's familiar with a specific terminology. I want someone who can come in and speak that terminology and elevate that way because we only do have a year. As much as I want Drake London or Brown or Studsville, Studsville to come in and kind of bring their offensive pedigree and their offensive background and learn and grow and change what we're doing and do something truly innovative, we, we're, we're, we're restricted by time and we're restricted by the young quarterback. So, A, what's the best parameter for the young quarterback? Probably some level of familiarity for what he did last year. And B, you have a guaranteed year. Now, it might turn into something more, but those two things limit growth of A, your play caller, and B, the offensive coordinator. So I think both of those things are so important. And honestly, why Shermer feels like the best candidate right now. And while he feels like the, maybe not the best, but the most likely candidate. Because like I said, like you've said, we would probably go in a different direction. But based on the net and the rules that have been established by this very unique situation, he's the guy, you know, and, yeah. and, and I think that's hard for a lot of fans to say, cause it is, it is a little bit familiar. It is a little bit of a retread. It is a little bit of a lateral move, but the situation kind of, See, actually, I, I don't know that I, the more I think about it, the more, I don't know that I agree with that though. I think Pat Shermer is a better offensive coordinator than Scott Turner. Like, I, in terms of, in terms of calling plays and being familiar with what he's doing, yeah. having like an Scott, was, Scott was a first time coordinator. Like right. Pat Shermer has been yes. very successful as an OC I agree. Um, in multiple places and, and helped elevate guys in a way that Turner uh, failed to do in his, his three years here. So um, is there a mixed bag of results? Yes. Is, did Scott, Scott didn't have a mixed bag of bag of results. He had three pretty lackluster statistical seasons. So right. um, I will take mixed over bad um, to just put it bluntly any day of the week. So there's there's that. Even though if there's someone who could be good, good is better than mixed. Right. Uh, all right. We will continue to obviously cover this. Who knows? Maybe by the time we get back together next week, uh, there will be an offensive coordinator for us to to talk about in reality instead of hypothetically. Uh, we'll continue to get different perspectives on this. I know Sam Fortier is looking forward to jumping on with us when he can. Nikki's colleagues at the Washington Post, he's covering uh, the NFC Championship game this week, so he's uh, he's locked into some things in Philadelphia. But when he gets done covering the playoffs, he's going to hop on with us. Uh, I know one of your coaching buddies is probably going to join us very soon, Logan, so very excited yeah. about about that uh and then uh we got a couple of the draft folks that we're starting to line up in, in the queue as well so we're not going anywhere uh, make sure you subscribe apple Podcasts, spotify the odyssey app youtube wherever it is you're watching or listening and we'll see you twice a week uh until further notice and, and that notice <laughs> is not coming anytime soon uh for logan i'm craig and we'll see you next time on take care